Now, on front page with me this morning is Ashvat Ismail from Astro Awani and Rajan Moses, a former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-Business Times editor. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning Mr. Rajan. <laughs> okay. Now, um, Malaysian Transport Minister Anthony Lok on Tuesday defended his aide who stirred controversy by accusing national broadcaster RTM of sabotaging the federal government. His press secretary, Mr. Lim Sui Kwan, had hit out at RTM for failing to air a speech by Mr. Lok during the recent Chinese New Year open house event. Now, what actually transpired yeah, between um, Mr. Lok and his aide? Because there are some conflicting reports. A, that he was distancing himself from the issue and B, that he actually stood by his aid um, and his stance on the matter. Well, if, if you look at uh, what actually happened was that the case of uh, a press secretary, you know, wanting to um, uh, exert a bit of control over the kind of the, the media in, in a way that uh, in what he was writing about, about how they wanted the coverage from the uh, transport minister. Uh, but, you know, the media has its own things, you know, his, his own approach to things. And there's no need for any control freaks here, you know, to <laughs> sort of uh, want to control who's going to run the media. Yeah, and, and that's the last thing that. to happen just before when you got new Malaysia coming mm-hmm. in now and, and all that. So um, it was really a bit surprised to see uh, any officer, you know, to want to extend, extend himself up there and say that, uh, hey, you know, uh, we'd like for them to control what's next um, right, what's content that should come out. Exactly. You know? Now, Ashwat, what did you hear? Was uh, Anthony Loke uh, distancing himself or was he actually standing by his well, aid? <laughs> well, for me, this is non-issue. I have to agree with um, uh, Mr. Rajan in this case. Well, if we take a look at this, the narrative from all it started, I guess, when the, Mr. Lim Sukwan lodged an official complaint. So basically, I think this is more into the understanding on how the TV broadcast works. You see, how, how, how the, the SOP behind it. And because if you take a look at uh, Mr. Gobind Singh Dio's statement, which is the SOP within RTM, clearly states that where the Prime Minister attends an official function, then it is only his speech that is broadcast live. Which right. is, all this while, we have seen this is a normal SOP. Since Jong, since, since the day, you know, since the day I become journalist back then, 12 years ago. I guess now it's about the understanding. The press secretary somehow has to understand and how, at the end of the day, they just have to talk to each other, right? Mm. This is within the government sector, RTM and the ministries. I guess more into understanding how it works because TV broadcast can be very sensitive when it comes to timing, yes. slots. That, that, is, that is normal. So, of course, when the Prime Minister attends official function and decided to broadcast live, meaning it's going to be focus uh, the Prime Minister's speech, definitely. All these walls, are like, it's like that. I, I think we have to understand what transpired somehow and at that level of understanding mm-hmm. how it works. Right. It. Yeah. And, and they could have done all this behind closed doors and not have press conferences about heads rolling, right? Yeah, exchange, uh, exchange remarks, and mm. so on. Well, with me on front page this morning is Ashwat Ismail and Rajan Moses. Coming up, we're going to take a look at uh, lawyers representing the former Prime Minister's advisors, Paul Stadlin, deeming that the government's move to charge him in absentia is political motivated. That's up next here on Light.
On front page this morning with me is Rajan Moses, a veteran journalist and Ashvat Ismail from Astro Awani. Now, London-based law firm Michonne Derea said in a statement on Thursday that Paul Statlin, the former Prime Minister's advisor, categorically denies any wrongdoing and uh, any charges will be strenuously resisted as the case against him is politically motivated and in breach of natural justice. They also added that they are appalled by the action of the Malaysian government, who today used the media to leak that Paul Statlin will be charged in absentia, despite there being no such provision under Malaysian law. Now, how does a charge like this work if the person is in question is absent? Yeah, Rajan? I, I think let's look at the case itself. You know, the fact that there's quite a bit of threatening from the uh, person who's been wronged, meaning Stadlin, you know, mm-hmm. saying, oh, we're going to take action against you, etc., etc., and all that's normal. You'd expect all this. But I think the key to it, the, to everything here, is what the prosecutor said. He said this is a simple case of money laundering, yes. and Interpol has been alerted about a warrant of arrest is going to come. And if that happens, you know, then they let uh, the SOPs uh, prevail, you know. Mm-hmm. So while there can be a, a lot of hot air about this whole thing, fact is that, you know, if a warrant has been issued, then about ab- being absence, absentia for the, the, yeah. the charge, etc., doesn't come into play at all. Right. Well, this is a lot of bluster on and their there's part. There's a lot of bluster, I okay. can see. Yes. Now, Ashvat, what's next for the government with regards to this case? Are they seeking to have him brought back? <laughs> Yeah, yesterday, yesterday we had this conversation with the law expert because we need to understand and how does this work uh, when the accused is absent, right? So basically, it is, in fact, possible for a person to be charged in absentia, but the case cannot go to trial if the accused is not physically present to enter a plea. So what next definitely is the prosecutors now want Stedlin to be jointly tried with Amnon lawyer, Dr. Muhammad Afarizam Harun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, what we need to do is actually focus on a date. The court set, I think, March 25th, if I'm not mistaken, for mention of the case. Mm-hmm. So basically, we need to refer to the Criminal Procedure Code Act Amendment 2016, in which clearly say that a court may proceed or continue with a trial and pronounce judgment in the absence of the accused, provided that a court shall not pass any of the following sentences in the absence of the accused, which is A, death, B, imprisonment for life, and C, imprisonment for natural life. If a warrant of arrest has been issued, then the court may adjourn for the trial and await the appearance of the accused, await the execution of the warrant. Mm-hmm. So, I guess the next look is March 25th, where uh, definitely the court is set for the mention of the case. Uh, of the case. Mm-hmm. And next is, uh, look into the, uh, like Mr. Rajan said, uh, we have to look at the what in it. So basically, it's about the money laundering, in which also the first touch where Dato Afarizam is alleged to have directly engaged. Right. Now, do you, what are the chances yeah. of Paul Statlin coming back for this uh, case? Zero? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how his, his okay. lawyers yeah, are going to view yeah. it. <laughs> uh, but, but the fact remains that, you know, this is a high-profile case, mm-hmm. and yeah. it'll merit a lot of coverage, etc. More especially when it comes to communications, PR, kind of. But I think at the end of the day, it's law that will prevail. Right. Well, with me uh, in the studio is uh, Rajan Moses, veteran journalist, and on the phone, Ashvat Ismail, executive editor, news and current affairs at Astra Awani. When we come back, the British teenager who joined the Islamic State group in Syria in 2015 says that she is shocked by a government decision to revoke her citizenship. That story is up next here on Light. 
And on front page this morning is Ashfat Ismail, Executive Editor, News and Current Affairs from Astro Awani, also Rajan Moses, veteran journalist, now a British teenager who joined the Islamic State group in Syria in 2015, said that she was shocked by a government decision to revoke her citizenship. She said, it's a bit frustrating and upsetting. I feel like it's been unjust on me and my son. Now, this is a bit cheeky, but she did leave England in um, when she was 15 years old. So there, there are a lot of issues to this case is revoking her British citizenship fair considering she wants to leave her IS ties behind. Rajan? I mean, you look at, at the case itself, it's a bit complex because you want to have the best of both worlds. So I, I think it's not really very fair, even if they're immature or whatever they have done in the past, to try and, you know, do things that uh, buck the trend when actually, you know, uh, there is a price to pay for everything. Yeah, for uh, these are serious matters, yeah. serious concerts, security concerts, and one has to be very careful. Yeah, know. it seems that, you know, the UK wants to take a stronger stance on terrorism, but do you feel that she's being made an example of... I'm sure there are many of these kinds of cases. So, about whether they want to make a case or not, Britain has got enough of its uh, constitutional and other provisions, you know, that allow for contesting Mm -hmm. these kind of things. So, it might take its course that way. Uh, But on the moral of the whole story is that, you know, you can't have the eat cake and uh, eat, yeah. at the, eat at the same time. Well, that said, she was born and bred in the UK. She is a British subject. Now, the idea of stripping anyone of their citizenship when they're born in Britain is a very extreme maneuver. Um, this is what Jeremy Corbyn said. Uh, what What are your thoughts on this, Ashvad? Well, well, I think this is about human rights versus the law of the land. So basically, if you take a look at how Britain, all these walls very committed to Universal Declaration of Human Rights, in which states that no one shall be deprived of their nationality. But having said that, under, if I'm not mistaken, British Nationality Act, a person can be deprived of their citizenship if the Home Secretary is satisfied. Right. It would be conducive to the public good and they would not become stateless as a result. So basically, if you take a look at this issue, yes, if you take a look at this kid, was very young back then, she was 15, and she had to go through all this experience and stuff. But again, it's about the law of the land. What does the law say? It is very complex issues. If you take a look at even the home office decision, either by a tribunal or a judicial review, I think it's going to take some time. In fact, mm-hmm. it could run for a very long time through the courts. Yeah, I think Home Secretary Sajid Javid said that she's 19, so by law, she has dual citizenship with Bangladesh, though the uh, Bangladesh authorities have said, actually, not that we know of, (laughs) you know, we've only been highlighting, uh, we've only known this through the highlights in the media, so uh, I guess it's another thing to just wait and see what happens here, right? Yes, yeah, definitely. All right. Of course, with me this morning is Ashwat Ismail from Astrawani and Rajan Moses, a veteran journalist. Coming up, we'll take a look at uh, MINDEF and their land swaps and uh, Matsabu's revelation that the ministry has lost some half a billion ringgit from land swap deals over the years. That's up next here on Light. 
And on front page this morning is Ashfat Ismail, Executive Editor, News and Current Affairs at Astro Awani. Also, Rajan Moses, veteran journalist. Now, following his revelation that his ministry had lost some half a billion ringgit from land swap deals over the years, Defense Minister Muhammad Sabu says four such deals were specifically made to help politicians win the elections. And he said these four deals involved land being swapped to build army bases in Hutang Malaysia in Sagamat Johor, in Paloh Johor, and in Bura, in Pahang. And uh, these projects went ahead despite opposition from the armed forces, he claims, and the army bases were set up to move army personnel votes. Of course, losses and leakages occurred through a total of 16 projects overall, some dating as far back as 1997. And he revealed that, you know, the leaders of former BN regime who served as defense ministers from 1997 until May 9th last year were indeed uh, Said Hamil Albar, Najib Abdul Raza, Abdul Ahmad Badawi, Ahmad Zaid Hamidi, and Hishamuddin Hussein. I guess the question now is: uh, Was there ever a need for land swaps in Mindef? Rajin? Well, the fact is that uh, there's no smoke without fire. They say, <laughs> but at the same time, they also say that you know the whole issue is being politicized by the uh, opposition and other politicians here. So it's very murky at the moment, the whole uh, subject. It's a very juicy story, mm-hmm. uh, half a billion, you know, and uh, all the trappings that come along with it are very interesting. Interesting, But the fact remains that, you know, proper vetting and proper process has to be Correct. done. And to do that, you know, you've got to have a proper panel, proper panel, uh, qualified people to look at what has happened. And you know, the charges are quite serious mm-hmm. because you're going back to what, six, five yeah. or six. And he's named everyone. Menaces I mean, named them all <laughs> and pretty sweeping. Uh, I think this, this merits a look, yes, but uh, really it's quite sweeping. And, you know, we, we really need to have a di- digest this properly right. before we get into that. Ashvat, what do you think? It goes back to the issue of governance. If somehow we have to, uh, we have to be clear in governance and electioneering, these two issues always there always well. I guess when it comes to this kind of thing, you know, according to those reports, that this is something to do with how to boost votes for politicians. Mm-hmm. And if you take a look at the development of the two army bases, which is in Palo, which is located in Datuzi Shamudi and Sun Hussein's parliamentary constituency of Sembrong, and the second is Hutalintang, uh, right, based mm-hmm. in parliamentary constituency of Bagandato Perak, which is Datuzi Dr. Ahmad Zaid Hamidi. So it's somehow related to, it looks like you, it would be used to boost votes for both politicians. But again, to his defense, Dr. Sri Shamuddin has welcomed the findings. And uh, he has said in his statement that he has always been con- consistent since before and he has nothing, nothing to hide. So uh, let's take a look how it goes. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to issue of governance, it's going to take a bit of understanding of how it works before, the transparency before. So now everything so-called in the new Malaysia has to be more transparent. Okay. Yeah. Well, with me, of course, is Rajan Moses, former Reuters foreign correspondent and uh, ex-Business Times editor in Ashwat Ismail, executive editor for News and Current Affairs at Astro Awani. When we come back, we'll take a look at Cyril Azhar Omar, who had his political asylum bid rejected by the Australian court. What that means for him, what that means for us, that's up next here on Light. And on front page this morning, 
I've got Ashwati Ismail from Astro Wani and Rajan Moses, a former Reuters foreign correspondent and ex-Business Times editor. I think this is, uh, at least for me, is the most exciting um, thing that's happened all week. Cyril Asar Omar, who was convicted and sentenced to death for murdering Mongolian model Altantuya Sharibu, had his political asylum bid rejected by an Australian court on Monday. Now, Deputy Prime Minister Datuk Sri An- Dr. Wan Aziza Wan Ismail said the deportation of Cyril will be discussed with the Prime Minister. She said if Malaysia's mandatory death sentence for murder can be changed, he can come back to Malaysia. Now, a spokesman from the Australian Attorney's General Department said that Cyril Ashar can be extradited back to Malaysia on the condition that an undertaking is provided that the death penalty will not be carried out. I guess the question is, where are we on the lifting of the death penalty? I think this is a very serious issue because we're talking about overturning the death penalty. It's very complex what has happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, to get a challenge from the Aussies about the way, you know, they're going to manage this whole case ahead. How Malaysians are going to view the whole uh, issue uh, and how they would want to open up a can of worms here, you know. So... I think it's easily said rather than mm. than uh, actually heard because there's so much to do. It's a constitutional matter, and your governments need to, you know. And you can't do a one-time type case only, yeah. only for this particular time. Is there going to be a precedent? You know, oh, there's so many questions. Right, but what happens? Faced, yeah. What happens if we, you know, don't lift the death penalty? Then what happens to Cyril? Will he just be? kind of in limbo? He will have to be in At the moment, he's already in limbo. Well, I've been looking at the conversations between, of course, the two opposing views here, for and against, because the issue here is not just about a serial, whether he can return if we abolish the mandatory death penalty. I, I think if we take a look at these two opposing views, where the proposal to abolish the death penalty, some say that it has to be carefully studied because uh, it somehow gives a clear signal because when it comes to the NOKs, the next of kin, the victims of rape cases and of course they would love the, 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 the death penalty to be there because the retention of the death penalty, it always boils down on how we curb serious crimes. But again, if you take a look at where we stand here in the crime index, mm-hmm. you know, in Southeast Asia, compared to even our neighbor Singapore took a last spot in the world rankings, and yet Singapore has some of the lowest crime rates in the world. Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, even U.S. has not abolished the death penalty for serious crimes. States right. like, you know, Florida, Arkansas, South Carolina, it's still there. So I guess if we take a look at the discourse now, it's not a zero-sum game or one-size-fits-all. It's like whether you have to abolish it totally or we, as long as we progress towards right. something. And we have to look at the pocket. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Of course, Ashwat Ismail joined us uh, from Current Affairs and News from Astro Wani and Rajan Moses, veteran journalist on Front Page.